Hey, what's up, Resonate Church? All right, it's good to see you here and all the uh, family members that are online or watching in Hayward uh, with Pastor Will and the crew. Hey, welcome. So glad you're joining us today. Hey, I want to start this service. Um, I know there are a lot of us here and in Hayward and online wa watching us. Uh, I just got news uh, before the first service, uh, didn't know, um, some, some sobering news that there was a mass shooting uh, out in Monterey Park in LA, one of the small cities on the outside of LA. Um, and there was 10 people that were uh, slayed and, and 10 others who are in the hospital. The, the person who actually was the gunman is still out on loose and, and um, we don't know the motives as to why this has happened. And they were celebrating um, Lunar you know, New Year and it was a festive time last night and some mass destruction and evil has occurred. And, and because we are uh, in a community where there's so many Asian Americans here, uh, I just felt like it was imperative and important. Our team thought, man, we want to address it and we want to just say a few words. In times like this, you know, um, our pastors feel very called to pastor and shepherd you. And, and I just give you a little perspective at the cost of maybe even being so down that we just can't get through the message today, I want to say this, that as much as you are angered and sad for the great injustices that have happened, I just want you to know that um, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 specifically that God says, vengeance is mine. He's, I am the justice. I'm going to bring about a justice that is right and fair and good. But on the other end, God says, in Psalm 37, he says, I, um, I draw near to the brokenhearted. And so here he is so compassionate. Here he is with full judgment. And we live in this gray area, don't we? And in this gray area, when we sung about it, should this life bring suffering, I will remember the Calvary that has come for me now and forever. And so this is important. It's not that God doesn't care. He sent his own son. And in that gray area, we continue to live, continue to pray, continue to seek out the Lord. God cares. He draws near you. God cares. He will apply great justice. And that's why the people of God could rest and trust in times like this. Say, Lord, you are in control. And we just trust you as the people of God. Can we do that? Can we trust the Lord? And can we pray for the families that are hurting today? So would you bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Father, we're speaking of kindness today, but there's none more kind than you. And we believe justice will come in your kindness. Your mercy will come in your kindness. And you demonstrated your kindness by sending your son to die on our behalf for our sins. And so as a people of God, we grieve and we draw near to those who are grieving too. And, and, and yet we trust in the Lord who will bring a swift justice. Pray that this person will be found and, and, and that justice will be had in, on this earth. And, and yet we know that ultimately in, in the day of redemption, you will have the final word, not us. You are the alpha and the omega and we live in between and we just trust you and we're grateful that nothing happens outside of your hands and we're all in your care. We trust you and we love you. And we move about this day because we have a God who cares far more than us and who's far more powerful than us. And he calls us his beloved children, sons and daughters. How wonderful, what a gift that is. We trust you and ask that you would just continue to move about in the midst of us with that perspective. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. 
All right. Hey, so we're, uh, we started a series called Gospel Refractions. And the idea is this, that whatever we refract to the world, all the virtues that we live, it's not out of a, a, a heart that is restrained, but it's out of a changed heart. It's out of a gospel heart. And we started this sermon a couple weeks ago studying 1 Corinthians 13. And then verse 1 and 2, it says something that's radical that Paul lays out. He basically says this. He says, if I sell everything, to feed the poor. And if I die burning at the stakes for my faith and have not love, then I am nothing. That's a radical principle. And the principle basically goes like this. It doesn't matter what virtues you exhibit as long as you don't have a heart that is changed. It's not heart of love that you could do all these things that Aristotle on the list of virtues, the book of virtues, you could exhibit self-control, integrity and all these things. And yet it's not out of love. If it's not out of a filled heart, but an empty heart, then it means nothing. And so what we're saying is that because of the gospel has been applied to us, not in knowledge, not just in heart, but a transformed being, we're able to then refract to the world things that are really uh, the same virtues and yet very different in potency and power. And so we're talking about those. And today we come to a subject of kindness. We talked about forgiveness last week. We talked about kindness today. Kindness is on the all the list, you know, like uh, Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, First uh, Corinthians, Corinthians 13, you know, God is uh, patient, love is patient, and love is kind. And it's certainly in the, in the list that we're going to read today in Ephesians 4. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? Uh, we're going to look and start in verse 29, and we're going to bleed into uh, chapter 5 to verse 2. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to chapter 5, verse 2. And if you're able, would you please stand from your seats in honor of reading God's word. And we'll pray once again that the Holy Spirit preach a better sermon than the one that you're about to hear from me. Ephesians 4, 29. This is the word of the Lord. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is the word of the Lord for this great Sunday morning. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Now, can I just show you four things that are in this passage that covers the subject of kindness? There's more, but we could only cover four. And these fours are massive as they stand for themselves. If you're taking notes first, Kindness is selfless. Kindness is selfless. That's one of the best ways that you could describe kindness. Look at verse 32. We start out from the bottom up. Kind, be kind to one another. That's what Paul says. How? Well, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And last week, we talked about having patience and forgiveness. And that's massively hard. I know you walked away from this place, man. Man, that is really hard. How am I going to forgive the person that I've been holding on, this baggage? This is really, really hard. Phew, today we're talking about kindness. Ah, 
kindness is much easier, right? Right? I mean, I know a bunch of kind people. Even in my family, there are a couple of them. You know, that auntie or that uncle, you know, they're, they're kind, right? In fact, there's a T-shirt campaign that says, be kind, it's not too hard. Yeah, have you seen that? And so the idea is kindness is pretty easy, not like the other virtues. My hope is that after I preach, you would think that it's really hard. That's my hope. Um, and we're going to learn that kindness, the best definition of it is really to be selfless. But the question is, can you actually be selfless and be kind? And we're going to learn from a great philosopher named Joby Tribbiani from Friends. Take a look at this. Hey. Oh, no, 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 Vomitox. No, no, Vomitox. Don't worry, I had a dry clean. Vomitox? Who vomited on... You know what? What'd you up to, Joe? Well, you're doing this uh, telethon thing on TV, and my agent got me a job as co-host. Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah, a little uh, good deed for PBS plus some TV exposure. Now, that's the kind of math Joey likes to do. Oh, PBS. What's wrong with PBS? Oh, what's right with them? Why don't you like PBS, Phoebs? Okay, because right after my mom killed herself, I was just in this really bad place, you know, personally. So, I just thought that it would make me feel better if I wrote to Sesame Street, because they were so nice when I was a little kid. No one ever wrote back. Well, you know, a lot of those Muppets don't have thumbs. All I got was a lousy keychain, and by that time I was living in a box. I didn't have keys. I'm sorry, Phoebes, I just... You know, I just wanted to do a good deed, like, like you did with the babies. This isn't a good deed. You just want to get on TV. This is totally selfish. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about you having those babies for your brother? Talk about selfish. What, what are you talking about? Uh, well, yeah, it was a really nice thing and all, but it made you feel really good, right? Yeah, so? Well, it made you feel good, so that makes it selfish. Look, there's no unselfish good deed, sorry. Yes, there are. There are totally good deeds that are selfless. Well, may I ask for one example? Yeah, it's, you know, there's... No, you may not. That's because all people are selfish. Are you calling me selfish? Are you calling you people? <laughs> yeah, well, sorry to burst that bubble, Phoebes, but selfless good deeds don't exist, okay? Wow. Selfless good deeds don't exist. The question is, do they? And I, I, I want to say, yes, yes, they do. And yet, it is so, so hard. I think the key is to understand what are kindness, the deeds of kindness that are motivated by selfishness and selflessness. And so let me tell you three things, three common ways that we keep kindness rather selfish. The first is what I call kindness for emotion. Kindness for emotion. Basically, it says this. I'm kind because I need everyone to be happy. I need everybody to be happy. And one of the best examples of this is my daughter. I have a daughter who's 10 years old, who's emotively very kind, but also emotively very codependent on your kindness. In, I mean, in your emotion, in your happiness. Meaning that if you're not happy, she can't be happy. She doesn't feel a worthwhileness 
or any worth if you're not happy. So if her mom or dad is in a fight or her brothers are struggling or, or her friends, uh, when they're not happy, she just freaks out. She's like, I need them to be happy. I need them to be happy. And therefore she is happy. And, and when you see her do this, especially when her brothers get in trouble or something, or I have no problem telling my sons, you know, some hard truths that they have to swallow. They might be mad at me for a day or an hour or maybe a few days, but you know, I'm okay. Whereas my daughter, she just suffocates. She's like, oh, air is going out of this room. And she just pours on her kindness. You see, it's a temperamental kindness, but it's also a weird uh, co a dependency kindness. And so she doesn't want happiness from you, for you. She needs happiness from you. That's how she feels, right? And I see a lot of this with mothers too. You know, mothers tend to exhibit this towards their children. You need your children to be really, really, really happy or you don't feel like a worthwhile mother. See, that's codependency. So it's not necessarily a selfless thing. It's a very selfish thing. It can be. But secondly, there's a kindness out of recognition or for recognition. And this kindness says, I'm kind because I long for value and esteem from others. Do you know there are people who are just kind uh, morally because they want to be viewed as kind, that that's their thing? Yeah, they might not be athletic. They might not be funny, whatever. But they deem themselves as, you know what? I'm going to be the kind of person that is really kind. That wherever they go and they want to hear and they're, they're pouring on kindness. They'll watch your kids. They'll make you food. They're, they're so generous with their time. And they all do all these things. But the motive behind it can be selfish, not selfless, because essentially they want you to be recognizing their game of kindness. That's, that's their driving motive. It's rather subtle, but I see it all the time. And, and somehow like that's my thing too. Like I want you to see me as kind. And so in the first emotive person, uh, they need you to be happy. Um, the second person, of the, uh, the person who says I need recognition, they need to be recognized. You, they need to, somebody needs to say to them, you're so kind, and that's their reward. There's a third kind of per, kindness, and that's kindness for position. Kindness for position, and that is, I'm kind because I gain power and favor. And there, there are people amongst us who, who are extra kind, who picks up the tab among certain group of friends. Why? Because they want in on that social structure. They want that influence. They want um, uh, you to remember their kindness. These people actually keep a, a, a ledger of all the kind things that they've done in their hearts, if not on their like memo on iPhone. You know, they, they keep all the records of it so that they could hold you to it. They're kind on Christmas so that they could expect some kindness back from you. And you know those people, maybe perhaps some of you are here. And so you're motivated by position, always keeping score and always knowing to what degree they've been kind to you after all. They're expecting something in return. You know, there's an old illustration, a great illustration of a poor farmer who actually was farming and harvesting carrots in his, in his uh, plot of land. And he discovered a huge carrot, unusually huge and ripe and delicious. And he looked at this and said, I can't keep this carrot. 
This carrot is too noble. It's only befitting of my king. And so he takes it to the king and says, King, I've harvested this carrot for you. When I looked at it, it reminded me of you because you are, you are kind, you are noble, and only a king like you deserves such a noble carrot like this. And the king says, wow, that's incredibly thoughtful. Thank you uh, for giving me those words and the carrot. In return, what I want to do is I want to give you the plot of land that surrounds your tiny plot of land. Everything is what I own, and I want to give that land to you. And the, and the noble person who was next to that conversation heard and said, wow, if a poor guy gives my king a carrot and he gets land, what if I give him a better gift than the carrot? What am I going to get in return? And so the guy next day shops and finds this noble, incredible, unique horse and brings it to the king and says, oh, king, you are a great king. And as I was passing by a marketplace, I saw this horse. And I said, this horse belongs to my king because you're good, you're noble, you're so kind to us. And this horse is only befitting of ownership from you. So I brought that to you. And the king says, oh, nobleman, Yesterday, a poor farmer gave me a carrot. Today, you bring a horse for yourself. You see, on the external, it, look, it can look kind. But in the internal, you could have selfish motives, not selfless. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it best in his book, Four Loves. He says something like this. He says, if you demonstrate kindness, not to please God, but to Show them, show people what a fine chap you are and to put them in your debt and then sit down and you wait for gratitude, you'll indeed be disappointed. Listen to this. All kindness initially is idolatrous and needs to be purified. He says it right here. He says all kindness needs to be purified because we tend to only give the kindness that is rather selfish and motive. And so we need to purify this Kindness. You see, a supernaturally changed heart from there can be genuine selfless kindness. Otherwise, we need to continue to filter and purify it. Here's the second thing that we see here. Kindness offers beneficial words. Kindness offers beneficial words. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. It says, it may give grace to those who hear. The NIV or other versions say that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, it is entering into conversation saying, what do they need to hear from me today? Now, that's a lot of work, getting into conversations with people thinking, what do they need to hear from me? Mind you, I did not say, or the Bible didn't say, what do they want to hear from me today? No, it says, what do they need to hear from me today? Because I think many of us have gotten that confused. Many of us think, man, like, what do they want to hear? So I'll give it to them. So you're soft-spoken. You're always encouraging. You only say nice things. But that's not kind, you see, because there are things that they need to hear that you refuse to tell them. Why? Because you're being selfish. You're being selfish because you don't want to change that relationship. You don't want them to think ill of you. You don't want them to think bad of you. You don't want to ruffle the feathers. You're protecting your emotions. And because you're protecting your emotions, you refuse to say what they need to hear. Instead, you always talk about what they uh, want to hear, what they want to hear. 
Are you like that? Or on the flip end, there are some people who always, always tell the truth. They don't tell grace. They always tell the truth. But they believe that God has made them a prophet to tell the truth and disappoint and hurt people. And so they, they constantly just tell the truth, tell the truth. Listen, you're this, you're that, you're that. And, and there's some people in here too. They say things like that. They'll tell you some hard truth. And they say, oh, phew, I'm glad that's off my chest. Man, that's selfish. You're like, you just got it off your chest. So you're good. You're good. But what did you leave with them? Pain insensitivity, harshness without love. And so wherever you go from harshness or, or this melty, known conviction, you know, you know, just only soft, truth-telling person, listen, don't tell what they want to hear. Tell what they need to hear. What do they need? Does it benefit them? That's the importance of this lesson here. Um, the question is, who is a person you need to give words of benefits to today? Who are they? And can I just encourage you? Sometimes we think of words that we want to say and that moment goes away, right? And you're like, darn it, I should have said that to that person then. Have you ever faced that moment? I face that moment all the time. And could I encourage you in those times for the sake of being kind with your words that might benefit them, would you write them? Would you remember them? Would you tell them again? Because in my desk, I have about 50 letters. And now I'm not the most sentimental person, so I don't keep all the letters that you write me. Uh-oh. But, you know, like I, they, I read it, take it into my heart, goes right to the trash. Most of your letters. I know it sounds harsh. But I've kept about, I'm just being honest. You see, you can't handle it. This is for your benefit. <laughs> this is for your benefit. Um, but I have about 50 of those letters. And those 50, you'll, look, you'll see a consistency, something that goes like this. Um, I meant to tell you, but, or I'm sure you hear this all the time, but I just thought I'd say it anyway, you know? And those mean a lot to me because they decided, you know what? The Holy Spirit reminded them and provoked them to write. And they're like, I'm not going to write. He's busy. He's gotten a lot of these words. You know what? I'm just going to say it anyway. And they write. And those are the letters that I've kept because those are truth penetrating to me. And I want to ask you, are there some people that you have meant to say something and haven't, you know? And yet maybe perhaps those are the words that they need today. Would you follow up with them? Would you write them? Would you tell them? Will you email them? Will you text them? Will you send them a pigeon, a messenger, whatever it is that you want to do? Third, Kindness offers yourself. Kindness offers yourself. Now, this gets harder. What do I mean by that? Kindness is not limited to giving things like advice or money or just service. Kindness is actually giving yourself. And do you notice how hard this is? Notice in verse 32, it says, be kind to one another. You see, look at this statement, be kind to one another. If Paul would have said, be kind to others, that could have been that you could have just given objects. You, know, you could have given stuff. But he says, Give, be kind to one another. Meaning, he's saying, I want you to offer relationship. I want you to have a mutual relationship with one another. Don't just dump kindness to others. Don't just give them stuff. Don't just give them objects. No, 
I want you to love one another. Now, the question is, what does that look like to offer that kind of friendship and one another? I would say the best example that I could find in the Bible comes from John 15, where Jesus describes his friendship and his offering to us. And this is what it says in verse 3, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Do you see what Jesus says? Jesus is saying, I don't just give you stuff. I, I, I offer myself. I give you. And actually, Jesus offers two components of himself. Did you recognize it in this verse? Vulnerability and assurance. Vulnerability and assurance. And this is a great way of just kind of gauging your friendship to others. Do you offer vulnerability? Do you offer assurance? Look at how Jesus offers his vulnerability. He says, you're not my servants. No, I, I, I make everything known. You see, I have nothing to hide. And so he's totally vulnerable before so that he could invite them in. His arms are wide open. And yet he gives them incredible assurance saying, it doesn't matter what you do. I, I, I'll show up for you. I will do what I tell you to do. I give my life to you is what he says. And that brings incredible assurance. You see, vulnerability or transparency and assurance, great commitment. Do you offer those things to other people? See, that's kindness. And some of us, we're great in being transparent. Well, you tell them everything, but you never show up for them. Some of you show up for them in all the events, but you're not transparent. You're not open, and it requires both. Um, I have a friend named Jonathan. He's, he happens to be still one of my earliest Christian friends. When I became a Christian, he actually was one of the first Christian mature friends that I got to enjoy his friendship. And I'll tell you, immediately I could tell that a Christian friendship was quite different than all my non-Christian friendship. Why? This is one thing. I only discovered this after I thought back about it and saw like how he made me feel. But in essence, what Jonathan always made me feel is a, a assurance like this, bro, you can't shock me and I ain't going anywhere. That's the semblance, that, that's the feeling that he always gave me, this immense assurance, immense openness. He was able to tell me things that I, I would dare not tell anybody, including myself. And yet he was radically vulnerable. He was radically assuring. And man, he was the only person that I thought that I couldn't shock away. While others, my non-Christian friends, I better act right or they're gonna leave me. Or if I make this mistake, then they're going to ditch me. It's the sense that I got. So I always played the cards right. I always try to behave and whatever they wanted, I try to do. And Jonathan was the only one that I felt like, man, I can't mess up because you ain't going to leave. You know, there's a song in the 90s. And if you, if you grew up in the 90s, the 80s and 90s, it's a group called Pretenders. And there's a song called I'll Stand By You. And some of you know that, the old school folks here. All right, the old school folks. For you young folks, let me just read um, some of the lyrics. The song starts like this. Oh, why do you look so sad? Tears are in your eyes. Come on and come to me now. Don't be ashamed to cry. Let me see you through, because I've seen the dark side too. When the night falls on you, you don't know what to do. Not, nothing you confess could make me love you less. I'll stand by you. I'll stand by you. Man, it seems like a song that you sing to your girlfriend or something, right? But let me tell you, when I first heard this song, 
I thought about Jonathan. I thought about his love. I think nothing I could confess will make you love me less. I really felt that. Remember in the Bible, you know, David to his best friend, Jonathan, you know, in 1 Samuel, he says, he says, you know, your love was more wonderful to me than the love of a woman. That's marvelous. That's friendship. Can, and can a brother hear that from another brother? Can a sister hear that from another sister? Because you're so kind. You offer both vulnerability and the kind of assurance that we desperately need. Here's the fourth thing. Kindness offers hope with an end in mind. Okay, kindness offers hope with an end in mind. Let me explain. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. The word building up here is a complex word. It's actually a compound word in the Greek. It is oikodome. Oiko means, oikos means household. It's like a house. And dome means to build. So when we're talking about building up a person, it's like building up a house. Now, when you build a house, you realize you never build a house without a blueprint. You always have to have a blueprint, right? And here's the question that Paul is asking. What is your blueprint as you build up another person? Do you even have one? What is your vision for the future of that person? Do you actually have a plan? Do you know what it's going to look like? Do you know what kind of building up you want to do in the other person? And that's a good question. Where's your vision for all of your encounters, even strangers? So Paul says, don't tear people down, but build up each other. Be kind, compassion, compassionate, forgive. And after he says that in verse 29, would you take a, a look at, at verse 30, which is probably the strangest verse, but maybe even the most meaningful verse here in the list of all this kindness. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, the question is, what does this mean? And why is that second half a part of the Holy Spirit's description Therefore, You know, because it's talking about kindness. So at the most reductionary level, it's saying, you grieve the Holy Spirit when you're not kind to people. So he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You're like, okay, I get it. I make the Holy Spirit happy when I'm kind to others. I grieve the Holy Spirit when I'm unkind. But here's the question in verse 30. It says, why does it say then on the back end here, you know, um, um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Why are you talking about the day of redemption? What is the day of redemption? Remember, it's a day of the future. Day of redemption when all of us will be redeemed. Our souls, our bodies, our earth, our universe will be completely redeemed and made whole. And that on the day of redemption, everything that is broken will be repaired. Everything lost will be found. Everything sad will be untrue. And that on that day of redemption, it's actually going to be a heightened sense of joy for losing and experiencing loss and hurt and all the sadness because it's going to be profoundly more imperfect on that day in ways that even if we did not have to lose that subject or whatever sadness that we've never experienced, if we didn't lose it, we couldn't actually experience a great example of this is like, have you ever found lost your wallet? I just lost my wallet recently. I was just like going crazy. And then finally, I got it back. And I never loved my wallet more than then. You see, you love your wallet more because and you appreciate it more because you, 
You lost it. You see, if, if I had it all the time, I'd take it for granted. Same thing with the child. I mean, I've said this before. You've lost a child for a moment. You know how you panic? You go crazy. I mean, they're just on the other aisle, ma'am. But you go nuts. And you're like frantic. You're sweating. You're like crying. And then you recover your child. Man, it didn't matter what kind of naughty thing that child that did that morning, right? All of a sudden, you just love that child. And what the Bible says is that when the day of redemption comes, it's going to be more glorious than the first garden of Eden because we've lost all these things. We've experienced this tragedy. We've experienced this sadness. And yet everything that could possibly redeem and be perfect will be made whole again. And our experience will be even more heightened because we lost it. That's what it's saying. And it's like, be kind in a way where you are hoping for that. You're looking for that day of redemption and that's massive. And what are you going to be like on that day? Paul reminds us in Romans 8. It says, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Revealed in us. Glory revealed in us. I mean, what kind of glory, Paul? Well, it's some of the most glorious things. I, I want to show you a picture of these redwood trees. Look at, these, look at this tree. It's glorious. When I think about glory and majesty, I, 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 you know, I think about redwood trees because if you've ever walked through redwood trees and we have the great joy and privilege, especially living in the Northern California, I mean, we get to walk the, through these things. You know, th these trees are massive. They're actually the tallest trees in the world. Do you know that? And it's all here. People all around the world, from Australia to Africa to the Middle East to Europe, South America, they all travel to come and look at these trees. In fact, when you go to Muir Woods and you walk, you, you hear all sorts of different languages, people talking about these majestic trees. Do you know where these trees come from? This. This little acorn. Now, you might be saying, Pastor, redwood trees don't come from acorn. I know. Okay, this is an illustration, all right? All right, I know they come from seeds, but if I held out seeds, you couldn't see them, all right? So this is an illustration. Stop being a smarty pants. Nobody likes that. <laughs> all right, some people clapped. Yeah, 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 smarty pants. I get it, all right? Your pastor's not dumb. Maybe sometimes, but not that dumb. Okay, so acorn. You know what is in this acorn? The potential to grow an entire tree. I mean, that's crazy. The majestic power, majesty, glory of that tree could come out of this? That is massive, isn't it? Now, would you do me a favor and just look around you? Just look around you, okay? Do you, do you see what you see? I'll tell you what you see. You see spiritual acorns. Every single person around you has the majesty and the glory that one day will burst open into a huge, massive redwood tree. Massive. That when you go to your neighborhoods, all the people that you see at the parks around this world, for endless views of people upon people, they are made to be redwood trees. They have that majesty and glory all built into them. That's massive. And that's beautiful. That is the day of redemption. We look for that. And the question is, and Paul is saying, are you applying your kindness, a kind of a blueprint where you look through and say, I want to contribute 
so that they one day become that big redwood tree. Is my kindness in step with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is working so hard, so hard to seal you into the day of redemption one day that glory will be revealed. <laughs> Glorious. Are you in step with the Holy Spirit or are you out of step with the Holy Spirit and not walking with the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit, treating people in a way that is not kind and the kindness is only attributed to you because it's selfish kindness, not selfless. Because if it is selfless, then they are growing and one day they will become a redemptive redwood tree because the Holy Spirit's got them and you are helping. Are you in step with the Holy Spirit is what Paul is saying here. You know what the difference between an acorn and a redwood tree is? I mean, massive because they don't even come from it. <laughs> massive difference, right? Massive. Do you know what the difference is going to be from what you are today to what you will become in the day of glory? So great, so big that it's going to make a difference between an acorn and a redwood tree, literally the difference between pants and trousers. You know what the difference is? Nothing. You didn't even get that. <laughs> In England, they call trousers pants, wrongfully. I don't want to explain all my jokes. Forget you. <laughs> the person who just said, aha, they're going to be judged. Okay, so, um, <laughs> all right, so, um, all right. Well, <laughs> last service, a anything goes, you know what I mean? Let me just read you a C.S. Lewis quote, I think, is, it, it just captures everything. The Weight of Glory, one of my favorite books that C.S. Lewis, it was actually a talk that C.S. Lewis gave. They turned it into a book. He says this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, those are mortal. And their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest and the most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw fully now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to get to one another, one of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. Do you see what he's saying? There's not a mere mortal that we ever see encountered. If, if we were to see on the day of redemption who they become like, we'd be tempted to actually like bow down and worship to them because they're so glorious. In fact, there are two destinations. One, we're building them up for that glory, or yet we are tearing them down to ultimately uh, face something very, very dark that only appears in our nightmare is what he's saying. And so 2022, I had a word. Every year, I, I give myself a word to live by. 2023 was, is different. I, I have another word that I might share with you later. 2022 for me was presence, the word presence. Why? Because of this concept that C.S. Lewis shares. Because before me, see, I've, I've gone to many places around the world and seen beautiful things, but none more beautiful than a human being in front of me. See, because one day God's going to make them majestic and glorious, and I have the opportunity to listen to them to learn from them. I don't care how old or how young they are. Sit 
uh, encourage them, build them up. So I always want to be present with them. Always telling myself, this is not a mortal just happenstance. It doesn't matter. Even the dullest person that I ever meet is one day having this potential to go from an acorn or seed to a redwood tree. Do you see the reality in this people, in your people? Do you apply this kind of kindness, such intentionality to write, to encourage, to be selfless, to build them up? Do you do all that? You're like, wow, Ryan, I thought preaching on patience and forgiveness was hard. Kindness is quite hard and challenging, isn't it? Always working towards their redemptive future. Well, how do we do this? Lastly, stare into God's kindness. Stare into God's kindness. Stare into God's kindness. Verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Do you see here? It says, therefore. What is Paul talking about, therefore? He's talking about all the ways that we are called to be kind, to be selfless, to give words that they need, to, to give them friendship of vulnerability and assurance, give them a redemptive future, remind them, build them up for that. Therefore, if you want to do all that, this is what it's going to take. You need to look at God who was so kind to you through Christ. You need to see Jesus because you won't be able to do that if you don't. Titus 3 says it perfectly, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Man, it's describing me. Verse 4, but... When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Everything changed. When did our God appear? When Jesus came to earth and he became man. And what did he do? He selflessly came, right? He could have been in the kingdom of God, enjoying the kingdom of God, the presence of the Trinity. He separated himself, not counting uh, being God to be something that he was holding on to. But Philippians 2 says he came as a human being and he came vulnerable, didn't he? Naked as he come with open arms, embracing everybody, children and all, tax collectors and all. He welcomed everybody in utter vulnerability and he assured them that they could be saved, that he assured them that he was going to give his life to them. That's immense assurance. You mean, Jesus, I can't do anything to separate you from your love for me? And the answer is yes. And what that does ultimately when we see the cross, when we see him hanging on the cross, we see that when he died on the cross, it humbles you. Here's how he humbles you. It actually cost him his life to save you. You know, yesterday, a, a friend of mine bought me lunch. I was going to pay, but you know, he was quicker to the draw. And I was just really grateful, you know. Um, I don't know why, but I, I came home and I texted him and said, man, I'm grateful. There were seven of us. He bought everybody, and he's just so generous. I'm like, man, you're so generous. Thank you. What if the bill came and said, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, a few hundred dollars. It was actually somebody's life it's going to cost. I mean, sometimes we forget, right? Like, God's job is to just forgive us. 
but we forget how humbling it is, how deep your sin and mine was, that it cost God's son his life. It just humbles you. It humbles you. And at the same time, it gives you incredible assurance because in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is, this is the only thing that he wanted to do is to die for you. He thought you were so lovely and so precious and he wanted you so bad. Somehow, in, while we're filled with this sin, he, he looks upon us and says, there's nothing more I'd rather do than to obey my father and to die for you because I love you. Uh, what, what grounding assurance, you see? See, and here's what we realize. If we were ever to be so kind, it has to be a refraction of some kindness that we've already received. Jesus was so selfless. He did everything unto our benefit. He offered the one another by becoming a human being, showing us vulnerability, showing and giving us massive assurance that can't be taken away. And he did it all because he saw the redemptive potential of every person in this world. He said, one day these people, my people will become these glorious redwood trees. And I want to give my life to it. And because you and I have received this kind of kindness, now we know that we could refract it to the world. What would our cities look like? What would our households look like? What will our families look like and our friendships look like if we have this kind of intentionality? that Jesus gave us. I pray, Resonate Church, that you and I will be committed to this kindness and watch the world change from a desert, arid land to a great forest of redwood trees. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to see today that even a, a small act of selfless kindness is building upon a blueprint to which one day we will see in full in the day of redemption that you are using us. And we know how to do that because we know what it feels like because we received this from you in a perfect manner. And so today we, we, we are humbled and awakened by your love once again. You love us so much that you would offer yourself that's so humbling, that you would die on the cross You love us so much that you made a covenant with us that nothing could separate us from your love. So humbling, so assuring. If there's anybody in this room or online or in Hayward that wonders, man, because I did these things, maybe God loves me less. Help them to know that those are the words from the devil. That the words from you is, There's nothing you can do to separate my love from you. Nothing. My love is perfect. If you ever doubt that, look at the cross. Look at the cross. It is so true. Help us to demonstrate and live out such kindness uh, to build others up that one day our force would actually even be bigger because of the kindness that we displayed here in this lifetime. We pray in your matchless name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Let's give him glory today. How kind. Amen.